0: Today, I'm talking with Troy Malone out of Portland, Oregon. He's gonna be talking with us about his experience with hip impingement surgery. Years ago, he was told that his hip pain was a result of bad bone shapes and that the only solution was to get hip surgery. He didn't really wanna get the surgery, but he did. He ended up getting it and in this interview, he's gonna share what happened. He's gonna share what the aftermath was. He's gonna share what he learned from his surgeon's after the surgery was already completed. And he's gonna talk about what he has learned during the recovery process as he's been trying to build his hip mobility to bigger and bigger and greater ranges of motion than he ever had before. If you or somebody you know is considering hip surgery for FAI, it's really important for you to listen to this interview. I hope you find it helpful. Here we go. All right, Troy, thank you so much for joining us from Portland um, to talk with us about your hip impingement experience and your hip surgery and all that. So I want to start from the beginning. Can you talk about um, kind of the onset of symptoms and what you saw happening to your body uh, that eventually led you to hip surgery?
1: I was probably in my uh, late 20s, early 30s, and started getting restriction pretty bad and uh, definitely some pain, pretty severe pain. I started getting some popping, snapping going on, which, which uh, I thought at the time led me to more of like, maybe I needed stretching and yoga. So I dove into to hot yoga, started doing that four mm-hmm. or five days a week. And uh, that, that cascaded me pretty quickly. That brought me into a pretty severe pain state um, to the point where then I saw a doctor Um, so I think there was probably a six month period there where it just, it just declined really rapidly.
0: So can you kind of explain where the hip pain was and then what did you notice was making it worse while you were doing hot yoga and all that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was always in the inner groin, um, area. So on the, um, kind of adductors, um, maybe, um, high groin, uh, high thigh area. Um, and then I was getting some, some low back symptoms, my back would kind of get thrown out. And I just kind of thought that that, you know, at the time, I thought that was a separate issue. Uh, I came to realize that they're pretty connected. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it started in the groin area. And then it kind of did spread to to the outer hips, and then kind of all around that hip region. Um,
0: So before you started the exploration with yoga, what activities were you uh, involved in that would
1: fire up this groin pain and hip pain? I've always been pretty active, uh, younger kind of high school stuff, played played sports, football, baseball, basketball. Uh, into my twenties, I got into rock climbing, surfing, uh, kind of mountain biking and hiking, a little more of those uh, extreme sports, snowboarding and things like that. Um, I didn't see much restriction until, yeah, like I said, the thirties, I started not being able to, uh, bring my knee to my chest. So I I noticed at first in climbing, I I was limited on my hip mobility to, to kind of put a high foot up. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that's, like I said, I, I thought yoga and stretching would help, but I think that's where I saw the restriction, uh, was in some of those, uh, and surfing was another one, Matt, like not being able to kind of pop into that squat position Mm -hmm. Um, definitely noticed that, um, you know, I just thought it was tight. Maybe it's a a tight day. You know, I, I I think I thought it was normal. Um, but, uh, yeah, those are the sports I was doing prior. And like I said, looking back, I I definitely saw even, even back in the high school, you know, as I reflect I I can remember times when, you know, I I couldn't quite do the exercises, the movements that everybody else was doing, especially putting my legs out wide, Mm -hmm. um, I noticed restriction or uh, boxing out or um, some, some certain athletic movements, deep squats, things like that. Other people could do them. I, I couldn't. Um, I didn't really pay much attention at the times. I didn't have pain yet, um, but I did notice it. And as I'm reflecting back, I, I, I'm starting to even go back to like freshman year and, and remembering some exercises in class and stuff that I'm like, wow. Okay. So um, yeah, it's interesting. So it's kind of a
0: common um, thread that happens with a lot of people, I think, where as you develop the knowledge of your body and you're trying to fix it, you start to look back and you see, wow, there were clues all along the way that I just wasn't paying attention to. Um, So let's see. So then you did, you were very active. You were doing all these things. Your hips were getting worse. You did yoga and stretching. And that actually started to make things worse, you started feeling more pain around the outer hips. Um, so then tell us what happened when you went to see a health professional? Was it a doc, a doctor first? Or what, what happened?
1: Um, I think there was a there was a time specifically. So it, within the yoga, at some point, it got it got really, really, really painful, um, like 10 pain, snapping pain, there was some sort of snapping i'd go to do a movement and and there'd be a restriction and then there would be this snapping sensation that would almost stick to my stomach and it would be a sharp 10 pain for a couple seconds and then it would kind of subside but it scared me completely because you know anybody that's felt that (laughs) um it's it's pretty intense Um, so that, that led me and and then what would happen, whatever position I was sleeping in, sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd go to like move or roll over and the snap would happen. And I would just scream, just scream in the middle of the night. And my my wife would be like, what? (laughs) Um, yeah. And so, yeah, initially I saw, I saw a doctor. That's when I finally went in and saw a doctor, um, had no previous diagnoses of of any sort. But uh, they quickly referred me to a specialist who uh, did refer me to I started with a bit of a PT approach, initially, um, where they were looking at physical therapy, but they quickly looked at me um, and said, Oh, my gosh, (laughs) you're really bad. I think you need to see a surgeon. Uh, there might be something going on. Did, have you gotten MRIs and x-rays? Um, and at the time, I think I had x-rays. Um, but I didn't have an official diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. yet. And, and then when I saw the surgeon, that's when, you know, that's when I did officially get diagnosed with osteoarthritis, FAI, torn labrum, um, a cam impingement. 80 uh, year old hips was, was really the, the, they, they kept saying that to me and that, that stuck with me. because It's like, you know, you're, you're in your thirties and you get told you have 80 year old hips and you don't really know what that means. You know, I had no really background in anatomy or anything at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, it was scary, super scary. And I think uh, it was, it was tough. It's tough to hear that. But um, the surgeon said, Hey, you know, this is this is pretty common in your age. And we have this, you know, this new surgery that um, here's what's going on with your body. You you have hip impingement, you have bone spurs on your hip, you have a torn labrum. Um, The good news is, is that we can, we can do a surgery where we shave off the bone spurs off your femur and clean it up. And, uh, and then you'll move, you'll move freely. You know, you'll have free range of motion. You'll have, Free restricted movement. It's when you hear that, Matt. It's it's even even now, man. I mean, the perspective. Like when you hear when you hear someone give you a solution, and you're in this scared state, you know. It's it's your your mind wants to really take that solution, you know. And so, uh, you know, at the time, it it made sense to me. To, to consider surgery, you know, and then yeah. this was in 2015. I did have quite a bit of family members and people reaching out to me and saying, hey, Troy, be careful, you're young, hip surgery, you know, that might not be the thing. So I had, mm-hmm. I had a few people kind of advocating and I did look it up, Matt. I, and I, you know, at the time, like, I, you know, I can't recall, but I don't, I don't remember seeing anything from upright or anything else at the time.
0: I, I, actually, in two thousand and fifteen, there was probably no information at the time you were searching about it.
1: Yeah, and no, I, I, I wish, like, I in in hindsight, I wish I would have dug deeper. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, this was my journey, and I, I, I did what I thought at the time was the best decision at the right. time, and it and it sounded good, man. It really did. Um, you know, I remember. I've always, you know, I've joked about this with other discussions, but at the time I remember thinking like, I've always wanted to kind of kick my legs out wide and do some of these athletic uh, abduction movements. And I was thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to be able to do this. Like, this is amazing. You know, there's just a bone problem this whole time. So then what happened? So
0: obviously the solution sounds great. The surgery always, I Always sounds really good so uh what happened after you had hip surgery to fix hip impingement and arthritis and labral tears what what was the outcome for you
1: yeah i mean before i touch on that there's there's another warning sign that was was a big like light bulb that went off was hey like my left hip i don't have much pain but i don't i have the same restriction like some of the movements are restricted does my left hip have this as well. Hmm, We we did the exact same test, you know, x-rays, MRIs, um, you know, they, they put this dye solution in to kind of,
0: Oh, you got that one.
1: The imaging. Yeah. And and, um, turns out my left hip was worse on the imaging. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so I was like, Whoa, wow. So this was genetic or something like both hips are really bad. They said, yeah, your, your left hip's worse. We should operate on both of them. Okay. I was like, cool. Can we do them both at once? And they wouldn't, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't do that. Um, But then I did question like, then why, why can I do these movements on this side without pain? Like there might've been pain at the extreme range of motions, extreme flexion, extreme external rotation. There might've been a little pinchy, not even pain, Mm -hmm. maybe just pinchy, Mm -hmm. but why am I able to do these movements on this side and on the right side, if the left side's worse on imaging, right? And they said, you know, imaging, like based on imaging, we might not, you know, when you get in there, it could be a little different was was kind of the answer. So we might not know specifically within imaging exactly, but we can tell that the imaging's worse on the left than the right. Okay. But it was my first, you know, light bulb kind of moment where it did get me thinking, okay, that really wasn't the answer that I wanted. There wasn't <laughs> right. to that. So, um, but I, you know, I ignored it, and yeah, I, I ended up having uh, having the surgery in 2015, um, and uh, yeah, on the right hip, and I had the left hip scheduled for later. Um, what
0: happened with the right hip uh, after surgery in the month after, in the three months after, what,
1: what did you notice? Yeah. I mean, one thing I want to point out with the surgery. So they said, we're going to do the surgery. We're pretty sure we can fix you at, you know, at some point in your life, you're going to need a hip replacement, but this is going to delay it. Hopefully, you know, 20, 30 years. So okay. not that, you know, I, I, I wasn't coming to grips that I needed a hip replacement, but another thing they said is that, uh, based on when we get in there and look at your hip, we might need to do this procedure called microfracture. And okay. They don't, they don't, you don't know. You basically go under the knife and you don't know if they're going to do microfracture or not. If you do mm-hmm. microfracture, you're non-weight bearing for six weeks. Okay. So you wake up and you basically, you know, I was crossing my fingers. Hopefully, I'm not, I don't get microfracture. I wake up. Turns out they did microfracture. You, you you know you basically sign that away and give the surgeon the right to do it, and and you know rightfully so that they, they potentially know. So mm-hmm. it turns out she got into the hip and it was incredibly worse than she thought. Okay, uh, a lot of inflammation um, to the point where maybe she should it maybe potentially even stop the surgery. Um, mm-hmm. She she did her best, but they did do microfracture, which, okay. which is basically where they drill or make little holes into the femur mm-hmm. to promote, uh, healing or, or blood, uh, to, to try to regrow your, your barrier there. So there's a little okay. bit of a barrier that, that labrum barrier. So there's some sort of uh, barrier between the bone and, and the socket, okay. um, which makes sense at the time, again, like the surgery did. Um, but the problem I think is that post-surgery, you're non-weight bearing for six weeks and so I got out of surgery, and when I did go to PT, they really babied me. Oh, you had microfracture. And, I, and th- Matt, this is one of the top surgery centers in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. um, top PT programs. I mean, uh, you know, I felt like I was in good hands, but sure. I also felt like, I mean, honestly, PT in the beginning was I rode the bike for a little bit on, on almost zero setting. And, and, mm-hmm. and I don't remember when I first started that. And then literally they would just take my leg and just kind of do this. Just move it back. Okay. Just a little bit of rotations. And I was like, okay, like I maybe this microfracture, like they're really careful. And so I was really patient. This lasted six weeks. Then I started slow weight bearing. So I think it was, you know, two, two and a half months before I even really started doing any, any sort of musculature activation, anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so about that three month period, I really noticed that my hip was frozen, like there wasn't any movement. So it wouldn't really move externally. It wouldn't really move internally. It wouldn't really go into flexion. It wouldn't really go into extension. It wasn't really able to move. Like they kept saying, stop being guarded, stop being guarded. They would try to move it manually. And it mm-hmm. just it wouldn't move. The muscles, they stopped being guarded, stopped being guarded. And so we'd work on relaxation and a little bit of massage, things to try to relax it, but they were the muscles were were guarding, but the hip was starting to get frozen. And my theory is now is that microfracture, maybe it can work, but it started off on a knee. When I looked into microfracture, it started off on the knee and it moved mm-hmm. into a, a potential hip.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: That's, yeah. And what I think it did for me, and, and, you know, I would say for people listening, be careful with this because I think it acted like a glue and it essentially glued my femur to my acetabulum. And oh, so if really? it went to move the pelvis would move, but the femur wouldn't move. It, 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 it felt stuck.
0: Have you been able to, uh, get the movement back?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can oh, get yeah. into the journey um, okay. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But and I didn't know this at the time. I didn't. I really didn't know this at the time. So I, I, I guess at about three months, I started getting a little bit worried. That was the first time. Um, they said, Troy, don't worry. This takes this takes a year. Sometimes with someone like you, this might take even longer. This might take a couple of years to to get your range of motion back.
0: So when you were first told about getting hip surgery what was the timeline of recovery that uh, the surgeon told you? So she, she said, Hey, you're going to have great range of motion after this, all these things you couldn't do before you're going to be able to do what kind of recovery timeline did the surgeon give you before the surgery?
1: Yeah, I, I think it was somewhere in that six months to a year. Okay. Of, of expected, depending on how, how bad it is. And, you know, the microfracture things like that it could take okay. up a year.
0: Okay, so at the three month point, you're starting to develop a hip that doesn't, that moves far less than it did before. Mm-hmm. And then you're starting to worry and
1: they're saying, be patient. So mm-hmm. what happens next? I, I, I walked the line. I was patient. You know, I kept doing PT, um, kept doing it. They, they said, Hey, let's, let's be patient. Let's stay the course, um, and see your doctor at the six month follow-up. So I was like, that's, that's fine. You know, if, if it is like injured and inflamed, maybe, you know, at some point um, they kept saying, you know, a lot of people get better, you know, at that year mark. So okay. I, I wasn't that worried. They were really reassuring to me. Okay. Um, and I felt like I was in good hands. Um, so Matt, it just got worse, man. It, like when I hit the six month mark and I was starting to walk, I'm full on limping. There was like, it didn't feel like there was really any range of motion in the hip, um, right. especially now looking back, like I was compensating. I was, my hip was hiking as opposed to, so every step. You're lifting your whole
0: pelvis. To, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I didn't really realize it. Like we worked on walking and things like that, but no one was really pointing out like, Hey, your pelvis is moving up, not your foot. <laughs> so seems important. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, And they were so worried about the microfracture thing so that I was really babied and I don't know if that's typical, but I was really babied in PT. They they were, we weren't forcing range of motion. We weren't really, really like working, stretching the joint and things like that. Um, So at the six month follow-up, we see the doctor. um, She saw the range of motion and got, she got a little concerned and said, Hey, I I think we need to do x-rays and uh, potentially another MRI. Mm-hmm. And kind of see what's going on. Like, I think you should have more range of motion at this point. Okay. Um, so we did imaging. Uh, I saw her again on a follow-up appointment and yeah, this was a little scary. So we looked at the imaging and she, her face kind of dropped and she, you know, she had a hard time saying it, but like, Hey, Troy, all, all your bone, all the bone grew back worse significantly worse than it was Mm pre-surgery sorry about that something's going on you might have an autoimmune disorder wow yeah you you might have this um you know she's she was she was excited in a way that like I think I can help you I trained under some really cutting-edge doctors that I'm gonna Asked for their advice, and you know this is a super interesting case. I've never seen mm-hmm. this before. Well, we're gonna figure this out together. Okay, was the message I got. Okay, I left that day saying, "Cool, I got an advocate, like someone. We're, we're like we're okay. So whatever's going on. Um, I got referred to a rheumatologist for to see about an autoimmune condition, mm-hmm. um, but I I felt like my surgeon was advocating for me. Right. So, okay. um, yeah down the rabbit hole of seeing the rheumatologist and putting me on like an Advil twice a day or ibuprofen twice a day. Um, and then they wanted me to, they, then they wanted to put me on even, even a, a higher, uh, anti-inflammatory type drug, um, which caused a lot of other problems. Like at this yes. point, Matt, like I, you know, I was hard to move and painful to move. So I, I was sitting a lot more. I couldn't, everything was painful. Oh, no. painful okay. so, I remember, man, I started like, my shoulders are rounding. And I'm like, I think I need shoulder surgery, everything just started really cascading Mm -hmm. my Mm mind. The whole body was just kind of closing in on itself. Yeah. Um, And I didn't know at the time, like, man, this must maybe this is an autoimmune thing. So at the three month appointment, follow up with the with the surgeon, again, I show up just really expecting a lot of answers. Um, and so this is
0: nine months post-surgery, right? You had the six months of the doctor and another three months, right? Nine months, right? Yeah. Okay. We're right
1: about that nine month mark. Um, and she, this is brutal, man. I, I go into the appointment and I see her PA and the PA was great. You know, she pulls me up from a chart. Um, I wasn't her, expecting her to know who I was, but, uh, the surgeon walked in, no idea who I was. Oh, um, no idea about our previous conversation, it pulls me up on the chart, like is trying to gather information on the chart. And I can see this going on, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what? So she's so she's kind of it's starting to come back to her, and I'm like, hey, did did you did you consult with that doctor in veil that you talked about? All these questions that I had for her. <laughs> and she just unfortunately didn't. And, was busy and, you know, was apologetic, but like, like, you know, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah. And then left and said, Hey, like, I think you do have an autoimmune disorder. Keep seeing the rheumatologist. I think, I think your next thing is a hip replacement. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. And that, that was, that, that was dark. That was brutal. That, that leaving that hospital at that time was, was a tough now at this point, everything's painful. And my whole body's painful from, from the spine to the hip, to the shoulder, to, to, um, I can barely walk. Um, I like, I, I was having trouble walking down the block. I mean,
0: this is a pretty dark period. And now with your whole body hurting, um, I could definitely see somebody in that position saying like, well, maybe the doctor's right. Maybe it's, I've got this autoimmune thing because now my whole body is hurting. Um, Did you start chasing that down? And then what, you know, and then how did you end up going a different direction?
1: Yeah, I did, man. And the autoimmune thing, um, you know, everyone, there's a lot of opinions on autoimmunity, um, but I, I think, I, I think be careful with that diagnosis because they're not honest with what they don't know about on <laughs> If you really dive into it, it it's, it's a diagnosis of, we really don't know we're doing our best to figure it out, but we don't, we don't really know. And what it did for me was completely just destroyed my gut. Like whatever the ibuprofen twice a day and uh I forgot exactly what I was taking. I'd have to look back, but I was taking um a lot of anti-inflammatory things. It it got me severe heartburn to the point where I was having to take Prilosec every day. Um they I just kept getting prescriptions and so there's I, just more pills on top of pills on top of pills. Okay. It, and so I had, I really hit a point where I was like, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll touch on this later too. Like alignment, like, where are you going? Like, w- where is your trajectory? If you, if you continue where you're at on this timeline, where are you going to be in five years? Where are you going to be in 10 years? And it scared the crap out of me. Like at this, where I was at in that stage, if you continued that out, it looked like I was going to be dead in five years right. or or like I couldn't, I couldn't eat certain food. Like my, I was, everything was broken. Like my whole, my whole body digestion, like it all, I pain movement. I mean, it was a, I would lie to my friends like, Hey, do you want to do to Go on a a climbing trip. And I'd be like, Oh, Hey, I can't make it. And it was always, I can't make it really. I was in too much pain. I couldn't, I was in too much pain. Um, I couldn't do it. So Yeah. But, you know, in a way, I think for me going through that really tough, dark time um, was a, there was a point where, strong point where I realized I had to advocate for myself. Right. I had to advocate for myself. I had to take some of this into my own hands and it, it felt daunting, but um, you know, a piece of advice for, for people listening is, you, I think at some point you have to really take it into your own hands at least a bit um, because it's too important. Like your body's too important and it's too, it's too unique. You know, your, your problem could be unique. And, and uh, for me, you know, taking it into my own hands was the start. So I could start my alignment. I could start a different journey. I could start to attempt to make this better. And so I started looking for solutions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think that was a start and that might've been the year mark. I don't know how, you know, I I might've been in sorrow there for a little bit. I'm not sure on the timeline, you know, from that nine month mark to, uh, to where I like really started to say, okay, like let's figure this out.
0: So you basically, I think it's really, uh, helpful to think about the trajectory. Um, that's something I, i didn't ever explain it the same way but it is exactly the same when i um, i had an mri at the age of 22 uh, on my knee and you know it was hurting so much and the doctor basically said well there's nothing wrong actually in the mri Uh, you're probably just using your knee too much you just need to rest more and you know that was already after three years of resting and the rest of my body was already hurting and i just thought wow if i keep resting more what is this going to get me? Like I'm, I'm just getting worse. And can I do this at the age of 60? Can I possibly rest more than I'm resting now? And will it make me a better athlete? Will it make me better at doing what I want to do? I don't think so. So you, you started seeing the long picture on this. You applied it to your body and you're thinking long-term, this is not working So, um, how did you end up, you, you ended up coming to Upright Health. You found us somehow, um, and you started thinking that it might be a good idea to move your body again. What got you thinking that way?
1: I think the start was, yeah, first advocating for myself, trying to figure it out. Um, I quit all the, all the, all the rheumatoid, I quit all the anti-inflammatory stuff, um, which cleared out my heartburn, which cleared out my gut, which started making me feel better. I, I felt like a human again, and in some mm-hmm. ways, like I was eating food, I was, I was not having digestion problems, things like that. That's That nice. made me, yeah. That that made me feel like okay, that worked. Like you know, what if I maybe there is solutions to this on your own. You know, maybe we can't figure this out. Um, yeah, that led me to. Uh, yeah, the, I think I started the FAI fix which was great, uh, amazing program. Shout out to you and Shane, um, which, which I know I've kind of worked with you both um, throughout this journey. Um, yeah, I started the FIFX, amazing program. It, it really opened my eyes to, to what your musculature can do to fix your bone. It, it really, for the first time, gave me the sense of like, there's a skeletal system and does that skeletal system move on its own? Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was like a, a freaking light bulb ding moment of like, oh my gosh, muscles do move the bones. What, why didn't I, you know, why didn't I think of that? And, and actually Matt, before I should preference this, um, prior to that, I think I saw in my journey, even before the FIF fix or maybe incongruent, I sought out every practitioner. So, and I had fun mm-hmm. with it. In a way, because I just was like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm stubborn. I'm going to do this. I don't care if you think I need a hip replacement, but I'm not going to do that. Um, and I'm going to be stubborn. So I saw every, I saw PT, I saw Rolfing, Acupuncture, mm. uh, agoscu. and I got a little bits from, from each one. And I learned a lot from each one. And I would ask a ton of questions like, what are we doing? Why are we yeah. doing this? What are we trying to achieve? Um, yeah. and I slowly started to like paint this picture, figure out this puzzle, you know, just really slowly yeah. kind of what was going on, um, incongruent with the FAA fix, I think, and starting to figure out what wasn't moving properly and what wasn't working. Um, and, and then eventually I did kind of realize that okay, I understand the exercises that I'm that I'm supposed to be doing here. But I did kind of, I think the missing piece for me and was not feeling them correctly compensating during these movements.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. it's, it's really tough. I think for someone who I think at post-surgery, I lost all connection to this right side glute muscles completely. So trying to do certain movements without the muscles firing that mind body connection was completely <laughs> lost. Um, so, you know, you're supposed to do these certain movements, but I would always get back pain or oblique pain or, um, certain pain doing these movements because I wasn't firing the right muscles. Right. And eventually, yeah. When I, when I, when I came to upright, I learned that you, we have to get these muscles firing. Like we, there's no, we really, the, the objective here is the right muscles have to fire in order for you to get better or at least get this range of motion back right and that was another eye-opening kind of aha moment for me um is kind of figuring that out so you know i i kind of went through the rabbit hole of uh trying to figure out you know how to get that mind-body connection and uh you know exploring a bunch of different things on on how to how to get the right muscles firing
0: so you did a bunch of work uh with, with mitch um who was training with upright at the time. And uh, you guys worked pretty hard to, to reactivate some of your hip muscles. Yeah, what kind of, um, was there one that you've, one strategy that you found really, really helpful in waking up some of your hip muscles?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a neat puzzle, right? It's, it's, it's a journey. So you kind of, uh, you unlock one thing in the journey you might unlock one thing and then it it just opens up another thing that you have to explore and unlock. So along the path and I think the further the the more broken you are, the more restricted you are. You might just have to keep unlocking and unlocking and unlocking and unlocking until you eventually until you eventually kind of get to your 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 goal. So in the beginning, I mean, the hip was, was frozen. And it's funny, Matt, before I saw you guys, I actually made a pretty ton of progress. It, it, I remember Mitch being kind of blown away when I said that, um, <laughs> because, because I was, I was doing, I really, really dove into, um, stretching and massage a ton, which made a, a massive difference. It really did. Like I got range of motion. I just couldn't hold it. I was having right, a right, I, right. I would, get range of motion. And then it would just go back. Yeah, I was yeah. running into I'm like, so I know that it's work, something's working here, I'm able to, to do it. I just I couldn't quite, you know, um, yeah, kind of finding the balance of, of strengthening or activating muscles, especially the right muscles. Um, I've said this a lot, like that, another aha moment for me was that, you know, a tight muscle could be a weak muscle that i didn't really get that and i think for people listening just because something is restricted and super tight and painful i've come to realize now like what that what that pain like the pain sensation of a weak muscle is different than a tight muscle and you know the more you dive into the body and body awareness you you kind of pick up on what a tight muscle and the way your the way your body reacts to a weak muscle um the, the good thing with that is you can strengthen a weak muscle. If you can get that muscle firing again. Yep.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's a good um, learning piece. Um, I actually have an article on the website, which we'll put in the show notes, a link to that in the show notes uh, basically talks about how you deal with tight muscles and how to think about those, right? Because the conventional approach in massage and personal training and PT the way everybody looks at it is if it feels tight, it's a muscle that you need to loosen and stretch and that may work for some situations, but like you're saying, if you don't have the strength uh, or that muscle is just really weak, it can still feel tight and loosening it is not going to do anything. It certainly won't fix your problem. Um, so yeah, good to touch on that. Yeah. Um, you had a, you also had a dream at some point, I remember you mentioned this in another conversation, you had a dream about your, What your hips could do and what you would be able to do? Can you share that a
1: little bit, like an
0: actual dream? Because it just blew me away to hear it. (laughs) So,
1: yeah, it's it's kind of reoccurring, man. Um, Nice. I I feel like uh, you know, I I don't know, you know, spiritual people are, but um, yeah, for me, I I think you know, I was I was hopeful that I could fix this um, I was super hopeful that I could fix this. And so the dream to me was, I think showing me where, I, where I'm going to be at some point. Um, so the, mm-hmm. the dream is, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching and I'm kind of doing the pancake splits and my, my legs are, I mean, I'm almost in full pancake and I'm just moving freely through the position. And, um, my, my, my wife's there and and, uh, there's a, there's a gentleman that comments and he says, Oh man, you're, you're so naturally flexible and (laughs) so impressive. You're so naturally flexible. And I look over at my wife and I, and I kind of give her a little wink, you know, as if just knowing that it it isn't naturally flexible. It was years and years of work Mm -hmm. put into specific work to get this, but um, it was, yeah and, that, and that's that's kind of the dream but um i'm older i don't know where i'm at but i i i've had it multiple times so i i feel like that's the troy that i i'll achieve that someday and and uh yeah, yeah I, I think the dream i don't know when it is maybe it's five years from now maybe it's 10 years i i hope that it's five years and i'm working towards it being sooner than later but um yeah it is it, you know it is what it is but it's it's cool it, it it gives me hope. It gives me, uh, passion that, that you can achieve that. And and the community, the movement community, you guys, you know, um, the educational piece out there, um, you, you can fix a restricted body, you know, you, you really, you really can. And, and, you know, you, you might like the journey might not be linear. <laughs> you know, I've heard it's this never lot. linear, <laughs> <laughs> It, it might be painful and you might man i've had so many painful stints where i've said oh my god am i is what i'm doing right like maybe i do need a hip replacement um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i i you know i i committed to consistency and i committed to i committed to doing something for my hip on a consistent basis which for me is daily um, depending on how restricted and kind of broken you are know might need to be daily if not twice a day Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but i fully committed to that and so yeah i mean i will become the person in the dream and you know on the on the time frame like everybody's body's different i i think um you know if it takes if it takes a little bit longer if it takes shorter you know Um, so yeah yeah i mean that's fun i i do get and i will say matt it gets easier you know i i think as this journey progresses, it's been a, it's been a wild run for me. I mean, that was 2015 and we're, we're well into 2021 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so I think for me, it's taken a long time and maybe it took me longer to figure out certain key pieces of the journey, which I think for a lot of people, you know, if, if you know the if you know the right steps, I think you can, you can fix it a lot quicker.
0: I think you started working uh, with Mitch maybe two years ago or a year and a half. I don't even remember at this point. And then you've been flying on your own for a good period of time now, exploring and figuring things out. Um, You know, what's, I, I guess, so people listening know, you know, what's your function like now versus before the surgery and versus right after the surgery, what are your hips able to do? What, what are you proud of? You know, what are you blown away by right now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a couple things come to mind. Um, one is fun. And and let me just say, I'm still, I'm still restricted. I'm, I'm working out of pain, like on a positive note, you know, I, I can, I walk 10 miles with my dog. I can go on a 10 mile hike, um, almost almost pain free, if not in that like two pain range, whereas I I couldn't walk to the park. Um, another kind of cool, uh, thing is, is um, one of the PTs made me. He was, they were very obsessed with my imaging, um, mm-hmm. and really took imaging strong. So we analyzed my imaging, and they basically said, "Troy, there's zero way that you can have more than 90 degrees of hip flexion. It just isn't <laughs> physically possible with your bones." So actually, Matt, it's less than that. It was it wasn't even 90, man? I think it was 70, 70 something. So they said you're, go, there's no
0: way you can have more than seventy. Wow. Okay. There's
1: zero way based on your bone shapes. There's no way that there's zero way that you're you can physically have the shit. You're gonna run into an impingement, and so th- I'm sorry to tell you that, but there's just no way. Well, I'm, okay. past, that. I'm past that now. <laughs> I have more range of motion than that in my in my hip. So. Oh, lord. Um, <laughs> I'm proud of that. Um, I, like to me that blows that theory out of the water yeah completely <laughs> that, um, so hey if, if i can if i can have more than 90 i think that i can have full range of motion it might it might be pretty tough to get there and i'm realizing you know as, as these dormant muscles wake back up it's it's pretty tough you, you really have to do some mindful work um you, you, yeah i mean i wish it was as easy as you know doing three sets of 10 of clamshells but I really <laughs> have to be super mindful during my clamshells um, to make sure that it to make sure and pinpoint the right muscle firing. But right. um, on a long enough timeline, I, I will get there. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. Um, well, and honestly, yeah, I, have a, I do have a lot of work to go, but I'm, I'm getting out of pain. I, w- I was in a state where I would think I was in a. Probably like a seven to nine every day always right. almost consistently if not sometimes that 10 pain and, and now i i think i'm significantly less than that i still think about pain quite a bit um and i still recognize that in certain ranges of motion but it's now i, I treat it more like a signal i try to treat it as data or an input of okay that pain why is why is that pain coming right then am i moving mm-hmm. something am i, am I compensating so I try to, I try to look at it in a different way. Instead of being right. angry at the pain, I try to treat it as more of a, a data point. Um, right. It's your body talking to you, right? Hey, yeah.
0: Troy, like maybe you should not be doing this all day. Right. Or maybe, maybe we could do something a little different right now. Yeah. How would you make, make me fire. Right. Um, so um, we got a little bit of time left here. So I want to also jump into uh, really specific um, advice that you might have for somebody who has been told, hey, you have femoral impingement, you've got FAI, you definitely need to have the surgery, you know, you've been there. So what kind of, what kind of words of wisdom do you have
1: to somebody facing this? I think my best advice to someone that is considering the surgery is really, really just think about the alternative for just a second just explore did did you put in a little bit of effort into that avenue have you explored it it might really sound like the option and maybe it is for you but to be completely honest if you didn't if you don't have the musculature around your hips to do certain range of motions pre-surgery if if your butt is completely off and flat and you, you have no glutes and and then you go and get surgery and expect to be able to do these things, I I think the honest outcome is you're, you're, there's probably not a great chance of you coming out of the surgery able to do these things. If not, it might make it significantly worse. So Mm -hmm. my advice is to explore and be honest about a couple movements or range of motion uh, exercises and really commit to them. I, I think for me, like it was easy to, to think that clamshells were stupid or leg lifts were stupid, but commit to it. If it makes you feel even a little bit better when, after you do a set of these, I think you're onto something and check into that. Um, so my advice is just, please just explore another option just a little bit and be honest with yourself about it. It'll be really easy to, to want to take that surgery route. I, I I did it. Um, but I'm telling you, at the end of that outcome, if you're, if you're alternative post-surgery, there is potential for you to be a heck of a lot worse. And okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's a really hard, I mean, I, I you know, I kind of get a little emotional even thinking about it. So um, explore another route, please maybe see somebody that does understand it. There, there's certain r- normal ranges of motion in your body. And, and if you can, if you can, if you're missing one of those range of motions, that's likely that's causing you pain. I mean, Matt, you have a quote here that I say this to myself a lot. Muscle dysfunctions uh, in the present are a result or a move of our movement choices in the past. You said that. So, I mean, if you if you think about poor movement choices in the past or the result of restricted movement now, um, it, it really is more of an unwinding process. And so if you're thinking about surgery, really look at your lifestyle and look at you and are are you sitting all day? Are you not activating muscles? Can you squat? Can you lunge? If you're not able to do these things, if you're broken, doing them now, um, you know, I, I personally don't think that that surgery is going to just magically get these better.
0: I think the challenge people who have pain and range of motion restriction have is, um, they'll see that these restrictions and the pain are indicative of the need for surgery. So um, is there something that you think from your own story is relevant to that where, you know, if say I have hip pain and I can't squat, I can't lift my leg, I can't feel my butt muscles. The surgeon told me that's because my bone is messed up. You know, what, like how, how can you reframe that? Or, or what do you think from your experience has
1: shifted that for you? I, I truly think like, be completely honest with yourself. I, I really had to drop all ego. I had to drop everything and be really honest with yourself about the way you were, the way you were moving. You know, if, if you're truly honest with yourself and you, and you look at how you were moving, and you know you noticed a, a dysfunction, but in terms of like if you're if you're not able to squat pre-surgery, think about the likelihood of shaving bone and being able to squat if your muscles control it, which you know I really truly believe that, that they do. My advice is be completely honest with yourself and, and real with yourself in that. Um, I know the surgery it, it sounds great. I mean it sounded great for me, um, but there is normal ranges of motion in certain positions, you know, your, your body should be able to go in a certain amount of hip flexion. It should go in a certain amount of hip extension. It should be able to abduct and adduct. Um, and if it can't do these things, you might be in pain. And I, and the surgery I think inhibits the muscles more than helps the muscles and makes it harder. So, I think
0: also your story about the, the, uh, hip flexion and, uh, you know, being told, Hey, there's just no way you could get more than 70 degrees of hip flexion. Um, and now being able to do it, I think that that's one that just resonates a lot in my mind (laughs) right now is just the imaging isn't everything. Maybe it's something, but even from the very beginning, You know, your left side was worse in the imaging than your right side, right? And then Mm -hmm. now, and it didn't have the same symptoms, but now the right side is worse off after the surgery, Uh, but you're able to do more than the imaging says you should be able to do. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, I always come back to this with people who are really scared. It's just like, yes, there are images, but, you know, historically in medical science, especially for movement disorders and aches and pains, those don't mean anything. So (laughs) they mean very little.
1: So it's funny, Matt. Yeah. I mean, we, we rely on it and it's, it's our best. It's our best way of kind of in the current environment, giving something, but it's, it's not (laughs) accurate. It
0: really isn't. Um, Might as well be flipping coins or. drawing cards out of a hat. So, (laughs) um, so to kind of wrap up, um, you know, you've kind of talked about how bad your hips were. You've talked about how the surgery ended up, how the hip surgery didn't make your hips feel better. Um, you've talked about having a long-term view of where your, your current strategies are taking you. Um, we've talked about how, you know, you've made progress, by being persistent by being consistent um you've you've really hammered home the need to be honest about your own habits and the way you've been moving in the past Um, is there anything else that you think um people should hear about anything else from your story that you think would be really important for somebody dealing with hip pain arthritis or label tears whatever
1: yeah, I, I think a couple things come to mind. Um, obviously, I guess first I'll touch on the physical component of, um, you know, for, for me, and, and I think hearing other people's stories, diving into this as, as an obsession, Matt, I mean, this, it, you know, I became my own mechanic and dove into anatomy and musculature and All this, I had to figure this out, right? Um, I had a ton of help along the way. Thank you guys so much. I'm incredibly grateful for Upright, for Shane, for Mitch. Um, Mitch, you guys all incredibly thank you. Um, You know, everyone that's put information out there in this world, thank you so much because you guys give so many people hope. And I I know there's more people like me. So thank you guys so much. Um, So on the physical front of that, the, the glute muscles are so, so important. So if you want an 80 20 of this whole thing, if, if you want the Pareto principle here, your glute muscles are f- so incredibly vital. So if it get your glute muscles firing properly, and that that is way beyond glute bridges, I'm sorry to say that, but um, get your glute muscles specifically, probably your glute med get that firing, research your glute med, get that working properly, make sure you can feel that firing and doing uh, the exercises. That I think will get you on the right track, at least you get you going in the right direction um, physically. And then I, I do advise like getting you know, getting in contact with someone that can take a look at your body and that understands musculature and can understand how it's moving because there's, it's complicated. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated process. You know, as one, as one piece of your body moves, it's creating uh, torque or potential dysfunction, down chain, up chain. So there's just, it's really complicated. So, you know, if you can, if you can work with somebody that um, can see that and help you, along the way that's helpful. And then I, I think the, the mental piece of it is maybe the last advice I'd like to touch on. And that's, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of like habits and, you know, James Clear, I guess comes to mind in terms of like, you know, you, you choose, you, you choose every day to, to be the type of person you wanna be. And if you want a pain-free life, if you want a restricted, uh, unrestricted movement life, You have to start living like an unrestricted pain-free person. And that means doing certain things and that those might be uncomfortable at first. Like the idea of stretching every day, Matt, I never want to do that. It was terrible. (laughs) The idea of doing clamshells and leg lifts was, was terrible. Like I, I, you know, five years ago, I didn't, I would have never, I would have made fun of myself doing that, honestly. But my advice or my, you know, if you want, to be this person and you're honest with yourself about the person you want to be, there is certain ways that that person lives. You know, if you want an unrestricted pain-free body, you have to do certain things to achieve that. And that is the little daily things. Um, and so I think there's a huge mental uh, component to this. And, you know, when you grasp that and when you, when you become that person and you embody it, it becomes kind of easy you know, you want it, you crave these things, you kind of crave the process. And so I think the quicker you can kind of dive into that identity, you know, the better off you're gonna be. And for me, I'm, I'm grateful for it. I feel like it really catapulted me into, into my next journey and, uh, and in a weird way, like, I, I think that, you know, this happened to me for a reason that I had to go through this in order for me to help other people Go through this as well, and uh, yeah, I've gone through it from a super dark, unrestricted, not frozen hip to you know uh, I'm making progress daily. So um, yeah, I guess that's that's what I'd say. Awesome. Um,
0: one thing that uh, you know, I've said this to friends before, which is you know when you're dealing with darkness, you know we're often afraid. Uh, to go into darkness, and we don't want to talk about dark things and it's, it's dark stuff, it's not that fun, whatever. Um, but you know, seeds grow in darkness, and seeds of really great things come out of the darkness. And it's really important to remember that you know, whatever dark period you're going through, something good can grow from that, and especially with. You know, physical pain. There's a signal. There there are things to learn, and you will grow if you can be with that darkness and let it take you to where you should be going. So, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about you know these dark periods and how you've been working your way out of it. Um, Your your story is super inspiring, and I hope that people who are listening get a lot out of it. Um, you, you, have also been talking to me about helping other people, you know, with this journey, um, is there, um, a website that people can find you at or some other way to get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I am moving into uh, a kind of a coaching role, uh, for me. So, um, check out, uh, chasingthetension.com. That's going to be my website. And, uh, yeah, if you, if you're looking for uh for coaching or some guidance around FAI, um, even if you're looking for if you're considering surgery, um, you know, hey, reach out to me. Um, if you if, if you need a sounding board, if you need someone to you know bounce them things off of, you know, I, I went through it. So uh chasingthetension.com, reach out to, to me. Great. So
0: well, I'll put that in the show notes, and um that's gonna do it for today, guys. I hope. You got a lot of helpful information here. And I hope you always remember that pain sucks. Life Life shouldn't. All right. I hope you found that interview really helpful and inspiring. I'm going to leave links in the show notes so you can find Troy and you can find the FAI Fix program, which will help you help yourself out of hip pain, especially if you have the FAI diagnosis. If you liked this video, please click the like button, subscribe to the channel, share this with somebody you know who's going through this decision-making process about hip surgery for FAI. And as always, I hope you remember that pain sucks, life shouldn't.